the Grading Cyberspace, and welcome to episode 66 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, to start things off, Angelo, if you could cue up some dramatic music behind me as I speak, please, that would be very, very appreciated. Every year, over 50 million people make the pilgrimage to Orlando, Florida to pay their respects and enjoy the sights and sounds of Walt Disney World and its hubs, including the Magic Kingdom, Epcot, Animal Kingdom, and more. The machines of capitalism grind hard in this gigantic theme park that is the biggest driving economic force in the area, employing over 74,000 people. With the impending Fox merger, Disney will control over 40% of all media in the United States, and parks like Disney World continue to propel the Disney brand forward as new generations emerge. And with that, and a nod to the fact that Angelo is haplessly adding to the coffers of a questionable corporate citizen, let's get into what makes Disney World tick. Angelo, are you ready to do our Disney World special here? Totally ready. Been waiting for this for a few months, actually. Uh, so this is like the regular kind of uh, way in which we do a show. There'll be a tech section and a paranormal section. But this time we're covering all of the same topic, which is Orlando, Florida's Disney World. So, Angelo, I want you to walk me through some. Uh, so firstly, I know that you have a burning desire to talk about yourself as you do sometimes. So uh, why don't we talk about what you are bringing with you on your trip to Disney World tech wise? I've been to Disney a few times now, and uh, the first time I went, I had my iPhone 5S and my DSLR to take pictures. And then um, I brought the DSLR a couple of times, and then in 2016, I actually forgot my camera, only having my iPhone 6S. And guess what, Brian? What? It was totally fine. <laughs> the 6S performed really well. Now, we all know iPhones take great pictures. They don't take as good a picture as a DSLR, but... For the purposes of my trip, I got some really nice shots, and this year I'm just bringing my iPhone 8 Plus because I don't want to be carrying around a big, heavy camera. So you don't want to be that guy carrying around like a full camera? Do you bring like a uh, like a, a bag with you usually? Um, are you one of those fanny pack kind of boys? I actually, it's like a shoulder thing, um, not a big bag, but I put my wallet, well, I don't have a wallet with me, but I, I put my credit cards and my cash and my phone in there, and it's relatively a waterproof little bag. Works really well. So apart from the bag, I need to rag on you for a sec, because you're going to wear your infamous dad adventuring hat while there, right? I most likely will be wearing my uh, nice Tilly hat, as they're called, not a dad adventuring hat. But I'm also going to have my uh, ATP dad hat that we've spoken about on this show. But that's just a regular cap, right? It's not a Tilly cap. So folks, if you want to see a picture of Angela in a Tilly hat uh, doing his darnest to be a mixture of between Indiana Jones and Crocodile Dundee, please tweet at us at double underscore density. Uh, release the hat pictures, Angelo. Well, they've already been released because all you need to do is go through my Instagram. I'm sure you'll see a picture of me wearing that hat. Well, either way, I'd love to put one up on the official uh, <laughs> Instagram feed or the Twitter feed. We might do that. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I'll be sending Brian pictures while I'm away. Living the real dream here. Perfect. So uh, apart from, you know, the iPhone and the dad hat and the waterproof bag, um, what else do you really need at Disney World? You really just need to have the phone with you. That's that's the big thing, right? Because if you have an iPhone with you or an Android phone, you get access to the uh, Disney Experience app. And that thing is indispensable now when you go to Disney World because it gives you so much information, gives you ride wait times, tells you exactly where you are in the park, finding you with GPS so you don't get lost. Because I don't know if you know this, but Disney World pretty big we'll be getting into a little bit of that i think more so in the paranormal section of things but yeah uh uh it is a massive piece of land owned by disney and it's hubs right yeah so you have the four major parks and there's a few water parks as well and you have all the resorts there we're staying on site so when you stay on site you actually have 60 days before you go you can book what's called a fast pass you know what a fast pass is brian well i assume it's one of those passes that gets you like early or quick entry into things right it is, yeah. And there's a few rides that need it. Most of them don't, though. You can actually get away with only waiting like maybe half an hour in most rides. And the nice thing at Disney World is the waiting in line for the rides isn't actually boring or anything. There's lots to see and do while you're actually waiting in line. For example, the Haunted Mansion, you're waiting in line. There's little trinkets to play with. Uh, there's uh, a piano to touch. Uh, there's books that are in a shelf that move. Uh, really interesting little things to do while waiting in line. The Fast Passes, though, are great because... Some rides, you don't only wait like half an hour. Uh, some rides, you can see there's an, uh, an hour and a half, two hour wait. You don't want to be doing that. So what is, what is the worst, like the, the worst ride to like get in line for? Like time wise usually. Okay. This is ridiculous. But in 2014, when we went, we were at the height of frozen mania. Remember that? Yes. 
to see Anna and Elsa, there was a lineup. You want to hazard a guess how long the line was? In I'm going to say two to three time? hours. It was 375 minutes. <sighs> wow. How many of those minutes did you wait? Zero. We did not wait in line to see those princesses. Was your daughter disappointed? Not at all. Uh, the, the, my kids actually, I'm really lucky. They were, they're relatively well behaved at Disney. <laughs> Whereas so much so, you know how kids are like, I want to buy that. I want to buy that. Mine were like, oh, look, do you want to buy this souvenir? No, I'm okay. Thanks. <laughs> so you literally were trying to force Disney memorabilia onto your kids who had no interest in it. Yes. Um, but yeah, we, we got a fast pass to see Anna and Elsa in 2015 and we got in to see them within 10 minutes. Wow. Okay. That's uh, from three, like, like what were you saying? Like 375 to 10? Yeah. Now the year after the lineup was uh, less, but it was instead of being like a six hour wait or whatever, 375 minutes is, it was a uh, three hour wait. And so we, but we only waited like 10 minutes. So, I mean, time is money, Disney World, right? So how do you strategically plan your way through your days? We, the first year we went, we went with our friends who had been before. They kind of had an idea what to do, but when we all, all four of us got together, we planned out the parks day by day, the rides, everything we needed to book a fast pass for. And it worked super well. And it's done that the last three times we've been. We kind of sit down and plan which parks are busy on which days. The internet is indispensable. Speaking of tech and Disney World, it's before you even leave for the trip. Use the internet. Look, there's tons of amazing websites that give you a breakdown of when it's busy at certain parks. And they're really like on point with those things. You know exactly when parks are busy because of what they write. Now, we go in July often. And... uh it's peak time there in July, but guess what? It's really not that bad, even when it's peak times. Oh, I, I believe that because I guess there's so much to do, right? That's kind of evenly spread around. Yeah, this is the first time I'm going in August where it's a little less busy, uh, so much so that they uh, were getting a free meal plan, which is nice. It's an enticement to get you guys to go down there. Double density. Well, at Disney World, you get um, a magic band. Uh, you're familiar with key cards to get into your room, I assume? Yes. I mean, I also have a key card at work. And uh, we also, um, a lot of music festivals tend to use magic bands now too for quick entry. Yeah. So there we go. You don't get a, you don't get a, a key card for Disney. You just have that one magic band that does everything. So it's, it's tagged to you. And it has an RFID in it, which can end up being pretty creepy sometimes. We were exiting uh, It's a Small World one year and we noticed all our names on the big board saying goodbye. Uh, did you take a picture of it? I did. Big brother with the big white glove waving at you. Uh, and also a few other times we noticed uh, our names in different other different rides. So it's kind of cool. Uh, depending on the cast member at the front of the line, when you swipe your magic band for a fast pass, they may or may not say hello to you with your first name because they know who you are. So uh, I think, so you and I both use the words cast member. What is a cast member? It's an employee of Disney. So one of the 74,000 people employed there. So everyone's known as cast member. They call each other cast members because they're performing for you. <laughs> that is an interesting way of uh, putting it, I guess. I, I mean, like in order to work, there, I guess you have to like, like fall into the doctrine pretty hard. Something I would say about the people that work there. They're all really nice. Everybody I've ever interacted with there. They seem to genuinely want to be there to help you. Do you feel like it's, it's put on or like, is it actually like a joyous kind of, of free willed um, enjoyment like ex ex excitement i've never felt like it was a put on it always seemed genuine the the best example i have of this is the first year we went um we got to the airport on the way home and we went to check our luggage and we realized we only had two pieces of luggage instead of the three and we remembered that we left one piece of luggage in our room at the resort i called the resort and they sent somebody with their own car to drop off my luggage and she was super nice about it. And she refused to take any money from me as a tip. Well, then the power of cast members. I, I, I've always been impressed. If, if, you know, say what you will about like how cheesy it is and all that stuff. But the people that are there genuinely seem happy to help you and want to help you all the time. Now, look, I, I don't know uh, any current Disney employees. My wife is friends with somebody who used to work on the cruise line. And she said there were a lot of rules, but people actually liked working there. I believe it. I, I feel like it, it's, a, it's a wholesome atmosphere. And and so I was speaking about bags, right? One thing that does happen is when you go to Disney World, if you're landing at Orlando uh, International Airport, there's something called the Magical Express. 
This thing, I was skeptical about it at first because, you know, I'm a skeptic. Um, but I was told that you get these tags in the mail a few weeks before you leave. You put them on your luggage. And when you check your luggage at the airport, when you're leaving for Orlando, the next time you see your luggage, it's actually waiting for you in your room. Really? So it's it's kind of like a, a really nice valet service. Yeah, they pick up your luggage from the airport. You never have to worry about going to baggage claim when you arrive in Florida. You just go straight to the Magical Express. You get on the bus. They take you to your resort. And normally your luggage arrives like three or four hours after you. But you go to the parks. Once you get back from a fun time at the park, you end up finding your luggage in your room. And uh, it's waiting for you. It's, it's pretty good. All three times it's arrived safe and sound. Hopefully fourth time will be okay too. Unpilfered. So we've talked about the experience a lot, but Angelo, I really want to learn more about the technologies used at Disney World because I feel like you're a person who really appreciates um, the intricate ways in which a park like this operates. So what do you have for us? I like the low tech that they use. And it's not really low tech. It's just stuff that's been around a long time and that it's stuff that Disney engineered from the beginning to work in these theme parks that Walt Disney himself wanted to be an amazing experience. They, he wanted it to be like nothing else out there. Right. And they're actually called Disney Imagineers. So it's like, you know, engineers, imagination put together. Did you catch that, Brian? Yes. Yes. Very subtle, okay, but yes. You figured it out? Yeah. Uh, and they're known for having developed a lot of the things you see at the park. One of the things they're more famous for are the audio animatronics. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say like that? Like the Rock Explosion band? Uh, yeah, that's a little... Uh, primitive less advanced as as you would see like if you go to disney the newer stuff that they do is just advancing more and more and they seem more and more lifelike uh from what i hear this year i'm going to be seeing the world of pandora and the avatar stuff is mind-blowing but it's still based on this technology that they had back then where it used to work with hydraulics now it's a little more uh digital but it's still pretty incredible the other stuff they do is using things like perspective and things that catch your eye just to trick you. Did you did you ever hear about this go away green color that they have? No, I haven't. What it what so go away green so it's a, it's a shade of green? Yeah, some people call it no seam green or whatever, but uh what I've noticed is that uh Disney themselves I think it's a patented thing. It's it's a secret formula they have for this thing where basically they paint this drab green color over things like electrical boxes, uh, buildings they don't really want you to see, like utility sheds and things like that. And your eyes just gloss over them as if they don't exist. And it's pretty impressive when you see, there's YouTube videos of it, and it's pretty impressive how you kind of just don't look at it. You kind of ignore it. So uh, before learning about this, have you seen this? Like when you 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 went in the past with your family? I, I look for stuff like this, right? I like to find the seams in uh, a place like Disney World. I When I'm in rides, I'm not like concentrating on the cool stuff that's happening. I'm looking everywhere else, especially if it's a ride I've done before. So like whenever I'm on parts of the Caribbean, which I've done uh, at least a dozen times because it's there's never a lineup for that and the kids love it and it's a fun ride. I stop looking at like all the pirates and I start just looking at all the little things around. And And if you're not really looking for it, you can't see the stuff that they want that they don't want you to see it's really impressive so uh, the they're really good masters of misdirection then oh yeah they're like magicians basically and and this is all decidedly low tech right it's paint it's perspective and something that is really impressive is when you first walk into magic kingdom you see the castle far away in the distance and you see main street with all these beautiful buildings old timey like you know the good old-fashioned Main Street USA. You know what I'm talking yeah, about, right? The one that they have the parade down. Yeah. And the thing is, is that it seems so far away, but it's actually not. It's closer than it looks just because of the way it's all made. The buildings, the ground floor is at a regular scale, but everything else is in a smaller scale. So the buildings sort of look taller than they actually are. So when you get closer and closer, it kind of just um, sort of appears. Yeah. Uh, and so going back to the animatronics though, now, like when you, when you try to look at them too closely, you'll see that 
you know, they're robots or whatever, but they're really well-made robots, but some to a better effect than others. Like I was mentioning, the presidents, those are pretty well done. Uh, some of the stuff you see in, uh, there's a ride, well, it's not really a ride, but it's an experience called Bell's Enchanted Tales and there's Lumiere. You know who Lumiere is? From uh, Bell, uh, Beauty and the Beast? Exactly. It's mind-blowing how real he looks. Have you tried to touch it? No, you're not allowed touching it. Do they, do they kick you out for touching the animatronics? I doubt you would get kicked out because I'm sure little kids have done it, but you'd probably get a stern talking to, especially if you were a parent touching things. Do you want to try this for me? Sure. I'll give it a try. <laughs> Perfect. I may be back earlier. I can't wait for the all, that all caps text you'll send me. Yeah. But, but some are really simple, like the kids in It's a Small World and the Enchanted Tiki Room. Uh, the Enchanted Tiki Room is, is a hit with little kids, though. It's kind of fun, it's, but it's super old. You can tell it's something that was developed in the 60s. It's very dated looking, but still fun. The new Jack Sparrows that they added, uh, interspersed within the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, look way better than the other Pirates of the Caribbean, if you know what I mean. Uh, like the real world ones? Yeah, no, well, they, they look better than the ones that have been there for 40 years. Oh, I see what you mean. I thought you were making a wink and a nod to a certain troubled actor who inhabits the uh, role of Jack Sparrow. Double density. One of the newer animatronics they have are the seven dwarves you see in the minecart ride, which is, it's like a four-year-old ride. They're really cool looking. And apparently they have like a digital display on their faces to make them look even more realistic. Really? Yeah, it's it's really cool when you see them. Um and there's some other interesting effects in the Haunted Mansion. Have you, you haven't been to Disney World at all, right? Never. Okay, well, the Haunted Mansion, I'd encourage you, go take a look at it on YouTube. There's obviously ride-throughs of it. Disney doesn't care if you film it at this point, right? It's been around so long. And they use an effect that's from the 16th century. And it's basically projecting ghosts onto like a mirror. It's sort of like what people used to do to, to trick people into thinking they were ghosts. It's an effect called Pepper's Ghost. Isn't it kind of like the basis for holograms and things like that? People think they're holograms, but it's not really holograms. But yes, I think it is sort of like the basis for it, but it's much simpler than that. It's really much simpler. And it's used to such a good effect, though. It, they look like ghosts. You think there's ghosts in front of you, and it's so well done. Do you get scared? The Haunted Mansion is really cool. No, I don't get scared. Uh, so the, the tough, brave man with the fanny pack? Oh yeah, I've got and my the, hat and the I tilly my hat. eyes. <laughs> yes, the ghosts in the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror are uh, really good looking, uh, like physically handsome re- or like really well done. <laughs> they look real uh, so much so that my daughter refuses to go on that ride, not because of like it drops you a hundred feet. Right, that part she was fine with. She was not fine with the scary Twilight Zone story. That's fair. That's I mean, like how old is she? Eight, nine. Uh, when we went on that, she was seven. Well, there you or go. Six. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, it was scary for her. So now let's let's move on to something that uh, shows how obsessed with technology and the future Walt Disney was. Sure. And that's EPCOT. Which stands for? Because it is an acronym, right? It is. And it stands for the Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. And in researching this, I came across an old film of Walt Disney presenting the idea of EPCOT to potential uh, sponsors. Really? Other companies talking about the Disney project in Florida, the Walt Disney World, as they were calling it then. They weren't sure what it was going to be. It ended up being that anyway. It was much, much more broad in scope and um, really like futuristic in that they wanted to build this community there that was always going to be there where the people would live and they would go to work from living there. And there would be the center where it would be all uh, commerce and then spiral outward into like residential areas and then like farmland. There would be no cars. It would either be monorails, which they do have, and um, something that they called the Wedway People Mover. Now, the People Mover is actually a, a ride I like a lot at Disney World where you kind of just sit down and it's sort of like it takes you through different parts of Tomorrowland and it just, you're relaxed, you're in air conditioning. It's a dad it's ride. A nice, it's a dad ride. It's a nice way to to just rest your legs for a bit and still enjoy a ride. Do your kids enjoy this? They love it. Yeah. They think it's kind of cool because you're on these little cars that just take you all through, you go through Space Mountain and all different, different parts of Tomorrowland. But this was actually meant to be the way people would be transported around uh, Epcot. Unfortunately, uh, the movie that the film that I'll link to it in the show notes, that was filmed in 1966, just two months before Disney died. After he passed away, 
they kind of like scrapped the idea of having people live at Disney World and it was just going to be more of a theme park. And now these days Epcot, uh, it used to be called Epcot Center when it opened in 82. Then it became like Epcot 94, Epcot 95. And then in 96, they just dropped the name to just become Epcot. It's much easier that way. Much easier. It's it's still like where you have like the more educational stuff, if you can even call it that. And they have the World Showcase. If you're an adult and you're at Disney World, it's probably the place you liked going to the most. I know, I know it's my favorite. So apart from Epcot, what are your what are some of your favorite attractions to visit at Disney World? Well, Magic Kingdom has uh, my favorite ride, which uh, isn't that Epcot, but uh, my favorite ride is uh, the Haunted Mansion. It uh, it's more like a nostalgia thing because it was the ride I remember the most when I first went to Disney World just for like a day with my parents. I think it was like in 1991 or something. Um, but the Haunted Mansion is one of my favorites. So Magic Kingdom is definitely just a notch below Epcot. And Epcot, it's more the feeling of seeing it. It's so well well made and nice. Uh, it's not the rides. The rides at Epcot are okay. Uh, but then Hollywood Studios and Animal Kingdom are also amazing. And Animal Kingdom this year, for me, has some new rides that I've never seen. And so does Hollywood Studios. So it seems like, and by the way, everyone, please note that we're not uh, being paid by Disney to say any of this. Uh, this is not a promotional uh, podcast. It's just one man sharing his love of all things Walt Disney and another man um, recognizing the capitalist pig dogs that they are and refusing to visit. Any other last notes for the tech section for this episode, Angelo? I'm realizing it wasn't that high tech apart from just talking about the apps and stuff, but I just kind of wanted to give a quick rundown of what Disney World tries to do. And uh, we didn't talk about Disneyland because I've never been, but uh, same principles apply there. And they they just make it so that you really forget you're at a theme park when you're there. It, you're just there. It, everything is like almost real, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I get it. It's like the idea of uh, things coming to life. And and the tech they use, like I said, is is relatively low tech. It's not like, uh, you know, these things are running like... Uh, a10 processors like an iphone or anything like that. <laughs> and with that angelo i will see you in the paranormal section of this very special disney centric episode i'll see you there brian my name is ryan sprague when i was 12 years old i saw something in the sky that i couldn't explain and i've been searching for answers ever since and now i want you to join me on that search as part of entertainment one's podcast network this is the Somewhere in the Skies podcast. Every week, I sit down with people in all walks of life to discuss UFOs, the paranormal and esoteric, and just plain weird. From the worlds of academia, psychology, theology, science and tech, entertainment and art, and everything in between, we dig deep back here on the ground to find those ever-elusive answers somewhere in the skies. New episodes every Monday available on all major podcast outlets and at somewhereintheskies.com. Remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we are switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So this week, of course, keeping with the theme of all things Disney World, I think I want to begin by talking about Walt Disney himself before we start exploring um, the weird stuff at, at Disney World. Is that okay with you? Well, I mean, he is the name on the world. <laughs> extremely dad joke for an extremely dad episode of the podcast here. But so I was doing some research on Walt Disney and apparently Walt Disney was a member of a secret cult group dedicated to Gnosis and alchemy known as the ancient mystical order Rosicrucis, AKA the Rosicrucians. So uh, not Gnosticism basically uh, derived from the Greek word for knowledge is the name given uh, to a loosely uh, organized religious and philosophical, philosophical movement that uh, basically started uh, centuries and centuries ago. So it's basically the, the pursuit of truth. So basically the Rosicrucians um, consider them as if they were uh, Masons, sort of like Mason adjacent, I guess. Yeah, I've heard of them mentioned um, in other places. They're like a spiritual thing or something or other, right? Right. So the Masons are basically more of the idea of uh, dedicated to like uh, uh, materialism and, and truth and things like that. Whereas the, the this other order that Walt Disney belonged to were more so the mystical um, kind of uh, sorts of uh, warriors, I guess would be the best way of uh, explaining who they are. That sort of comes out in the art that Disney was part of and that he produced. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really interesting stuff. We're going to link to uh, a website that you mocked that I love called GnosticWarrior.com, which kind of uh, it goes a uh, lay of the land of Walt Disney. And there's a, actually a great picture of Walt Disney in a cape of sorts at one of these Rosicrucian meetings. Yeah, the, the site is, a, is sort of ridiculous, but uh, those pictures are pretty great. One of my favorite lines on, on this web, particular web page is, contrary to popular modern conspiracy belief, Walt Disney was not a Satanist. Yeah, that's not that popular. I've never really heard of the popular urban legend around Disney is the whole thing that he was frozen, which is not true, right? So we're not gonna be covering the cryogenic stuff. We're not gonna be covering the ghosts and deaths of people necessarily. Um, We're not gonna be talking about how people love to spread the ashes of loved ones in the haunted mansions, because I feel like that's been covered before in other places. So we kind of we did a deep dive, you and I in terms of trying to find weird stuff. Um, about Walt Disney World and Walt Disney. Uh, so I'm going to continue. So uh, Walt Disney is not a Satanist, and I'm going to quote directly from the the website. Uh, Disney was just, I like the word just there, was just a member of a secret brotherhood that uses the occult to reveal many of the secrets of the universe to the profane by actually revealing the secret knowledge to them in cartoons and cinema. So the idea is that Walt Disney used his magic powers in order to create this media empire, and then he used some of that magic to create Walt Disney World, Right. I love, I love that he just, that he said just. just yeah, just, that. just. He's not a he Satanist. He just used magic to become the most powerful media mogul of all time. Yeah. That's all he did. <laughs> um, so some really, really interesting stuff, right? So Disneyland um, in California and Disney World both sit on roughly the 33 uh, degrees latitude, right? So that um, is of particular significance when we consider um, the idea of ley lines, right? So ley lines are pseudoscientific belief in geographically based alignments of several important landmarks on the globe. Ley lines are thought to connect important and sacred sites throughout the world with electromagnetic energy, right? So um, this is a really big pseudoscience, and I don't know if you know anything about this. I've heard about it mentioned um, on other shows, actually. Uh, And uh, the first time I heard it mentioned was a few years ago. And even then, it sounded ridiculous to me. Right. So the phrase was coined in 1921 by amateur archaeologist Alfred Watkins, who identified apparent alignments of places of geographical and historical interests, such as ancient monuments, ridge tops, and fjords. So some of these sites that are supposedly resting on ley lines include Stonehenge, the Bermuda Triangle, Roswell, the French town of Lourdes, the Great Pyramids of Giza, and much, much more. But right, uh, Angela, I feel like this may be your favorite thing on Earth. And what I mean by that is this might be a case of pareidolia. Of course it is. You're just ascribing some sort of weird mystical electrical energy to a place that has carried some sort of weight in terms of uh, spiritualness or weird things happening or something like Disney World that people like really love. Uh, Disneyland as well. Is it Disneyland and Disney World that they're both on Leyland oh, apparently, or just Disneyland? So apparently it's both Disneyland and Disney World from what I'm reading. And they're on the same parallel? They're not on the same parallel? Latitude-wise. Are they? I have no idea. No, I don't think they are. Anyway, that doesn't matter. I just think it's all garbage. But people seem to buy into that. Now, there's books written about this too for some reason. Yeah, so there's a book called Latitude 33, Key to the Kingdom by Walter Bosley. Yeah, I know Walter. You and him have had words, apparently? Not really words. I've I've talked to him on uh, on the Paracast forum. This was years ago. And I think, not that we got into an argument, but we had a, a heated discussion in the forum about these ley lines, if I'm not mistaken. This was a long, long time ago. If you actually listen to Walter on other podcasts, I think he was recently on the on Ryan Sprague's show, um, Somewhere in the Skies. Uh, he's actually a nice guy. It's just I completely disagree with him on this Latitude 33 stuff. Right. Uh, so uh, the, the number 33 is also very interesting because other people allege that uh, Walt Disney was a 33-degree Mason, right? So um, uh, these people include uh, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, George Bush senior and other people, right? So uh, he, the idea that he belongs to the 33rd degree, right? So there's a private club at Disneyland called club 33, right? So there's two really uh, strong rumors, right? And we're talking about Disneyland here in California, not Disney world, but apparently a club 33 opened up, uh, in Disney world in late 2017. So it exists, um, on both coasts. So apparently there's two rumors as to the name club 33. So the first one is that, uh, 33 Royal street is the most famous address among Disney fans. So therefore this club exists there. Um, and this club is basically like a secret VIP club that costs a lot of money, uh, to get into, uh, the wait list is very long and, uh, they have a lot of rules in terms of decorum. So the first one is, uh, so the first rumor is the 33 Royal street. The second one is that apparently it's named after, uh, Disney world, uh, Disneyland's, uh, first 33 sponsors. Well, that would actually make sense. So in Disneyland, not Disney World, uh, it is the only place uh, where one 
uh, serves alcohol, but you were telling me that uh, there are other places in Disney World where one can get drinks. Yeah, you can get drinks at uh, Epcot. And actually, the new meal plan, as of last year, allows for, if available, alcoholic beverages for the adult guests. Also, Angelo, I want you to realize that this is episode 66 of Double Density, right? So Double Density has two hosts, and 66 divided by two is what? 33. There you go. This is kismet, my friend. This is everything coming together. This is podcast ley lines happening live and direct here as we record this episode. See, if I, if I was like a numerologist, I would totally read into it, but it's complete coincidence. It's just that this is when the recording fell and how it happened, unless you this was all guided by the simulation. I, it's an unseen hand moving everything forward, propelling it through time. Let's go with that. So let's move on from Walt Disney and Disneyland and really concentrate on Disney World, right? So one of the more interesting things is that there are uh, two complete hubs, I guess, that are just abandoned, right, at Disney World? One I would definitely call a hub. One is more like of a, an offshoot of a resort. But yes, completely abandoned. And it's like they picked up and just left. It is really weird. And also, uh, so let's get into the first one, which is the River Country uh, Water Park, right? So opened in 1976 and closed in, two, in 2001. I would say this is the more famous of the two uh, abandoned sites at Disney World. Originally, Disney World wasn't the largest uh, theme park in the world. So they had the Magic Kingdom as the main hub and they needed to sort of attract more people. So they created a water park, which was River Country. I don't think the resort was even open yet that's next to it, right? Uh, it was open before the Fort Wilderness Lodge Resort, which is where it's connected. And I have a little anecdote for you, Brian. Hit me with it. I was literally right next to this thing, and I didn't realize uh, that I could have walked down a path and looked through a fence and seen the old water park. And I'm very upset at myself. So what you're saying is that it almost happened, but sadly, uh, you didn't realize what was going on, so you just never thought to look. No, in researching for this episode, I I saw that... It was, they were showing a map and it was next to, uh, don't laugh, but it was next to Mickey's backyard barbecue <laughs> where we were, <laughs> where we were eating one night. And, uh, if I go look at my photos that I took and I look at the GPS coordinates and I zoom in and I zoom in, I see the satellite photo of that water park. And I'm really upset. I could have probably walked, uh, you know, a few hundred feet and seen this. Uh, also, though, that day, my feet were soaked because of a horrible rainstorm we had had at uh, Magic Kingdom. And uh, I was very uncomfortable, so I may not have even wanted to do the walk if I knew. Ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, one of the biggest first world problems we're going to encounter here on an episode all about Disney World. So let that sink in for a moment. Uh, something interesting, actually, about uh, River Country, though, is that it was the source of an interesting uh, sort of uh, urban myth about uh, zombies. Yeah, I think this stems from the fact that, um, so three people died at this water park, uh, which uh, two of them were uh, what you would expect. There were two drownings, which is sad but un and unfortunate. But when the park was built, they didn't really exactly have the best standards in terms of lines of sight for the lifeguards and things like that. So unfortunately, things like this happen. But the reason the whole zombie thing started is because, or and I think it is, I, I haven't really delved into this too deeply. Well, the good news is I have. So, <laughs> Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. So, but, but, but correct me if I'm wrong, but this is because there was a death from a brain-eating amoeba? Yes. Uh, so uh, August 20th, 1980, uh, an 11-year-old, uh, contracted uh, a brain-eating amoeba. Uh, I'm going to try and pronounce the name uh, of this disease, so hold with me. Uh, so amoebic meningio... I'm not even going to bother doing this. So basically what happens that is that this amoeba attacks the nervous system and the brain. And um, uh, so apart from the child who had died in River Country, two other children had died um, in Florida of this. This is apparently a common bacteria. Is it a bacteria or amoeba that's found in Florida lake water? Yeah. And the interesting thing about river country was that, um, the name is a bit of a misnomer, but uh, it's water from Bay Lake, but it was filtered and cleaned, and it, but you were in the lake water. And the thing is, is that there was only one death that happened, as sad as it was and tragic, but there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people that went through this park and never had a problem. 
and I, it's because uh, they did such a good job filtering. But unfortunately, in this case, something did get through. That's right. Unfortunately, brain eating things. Guess what that leads to? Zombies. Exactly. So that's an interesting urban legend uh, revolving a closed uh, water park, right? So uh, I actually have an Orlando Sentinel article from uh, earlier this year, which is saying that they're planning on building a brand new resort on the River Country property. Uh, the first thing they're going to need to do, though, is clean all of that up, right? So uh, we're going to link to uh, some photos of uh, River Country Water Park in its abandoned state taken a couple of years ago. And literally, it does look like people just ran up and left. Like there's offices with like papers and like desks and objects and things like that just there. Yeah, and one of the reasons that it's it is the more famous of the two abandoned spots is that it's relatively accessible. Uh, you can get a banned for life, apparently, though, from Disney World if you are caught trespassing there, which is, I think, worth it. Uh, in my opinion, I know it's <laughs> if not. If you're the same an urban explorer, you. Yeah. <laughs> you pay thousands of dollars to go to Disney World and then get caught. Uh, trying to find your way into an abandoned park. Well, people love to claim that uh, River Country is haunted too. Like there's a lot of posts on the internet and message boards claiming that this is a really haunted spot. How creepy is a weird abandoned place like that in the middle of the happiest place on earth that's so well maintained? When you go to Disney World, it's impressive how well it's maintained. That's very true, actually. And and the, but the fact that they just leave this yeah. like garbage. Yeah, it's really weird. Uh, it's, there's a huge it, disconnect there. It really is. And, um, but like I said, it's, it's famous because it's accessible, but the next one is not so accessible, is it, Brian? So we're talking about Discovery Island here. This is another one where I rode right past it on the way to the backyard barbecue and I didn't know it was there either. Also, I would have looked very carefully at that island. So one of the interesting things is that you mentioned Bay Lake before. So this was also located in Bay Lake, right? So it was first... They're right across from each other, Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So this was first opened in April 1974 as Treasure Island and operated as a wildlife observation attraction until 1999. So most of its captive animals were then moved to the animal kingdom. Yeah, it's kind of redundant to have the two. Uh, especially when Animal Kingdom is so huge and so well done that they didn't need to have this other island there that also not too accessible. You have to get on a boat to get there, whereas Animal Kingdom is easily accessible by car or bus. So that whole area, I feel, is underdeveloped because of the fact that it's kind of more out there, right? Away from sort of like the central hubs. Yeah, it's it's literally in the middle of a lake. Right. So uh, basically it was like, so for example, right? So River Country uh, kind of became obsolete when Eisner uh, came on board in the mid-80s and he decided to create Typhoon Lagoon, right? So the same thing with Discovery Island is once the animal kingdom was created, they, were, they saw no need to house animals in two different places. So they moved them closer to the main attractions. Yeah, you're, you're wasting a lot of resources as well. Animals are not easy to take care of and you want to be able to have them all in one place. You don't need your vets in two different spots on the island. Uh, have everybody go to one spot. You can have one animal hospital, consolidate everything. It really made no sense to have this little tiny attraction. Uh, comparatively speaking to uh, Animal Kingdom, I, one of the videos I watched about this abandoned park, they they showed us, uh, it's superimposed on, on top of Animal Kingdom and it took up like not even a tenth of the space. <laughs> well, there you go. That's It's massive, right? Like that's that's so crazy. What's also crazy is that when I was reading about this, the name kept sounding so familiar to me, Discovery Island. Why does this sound so familiar? The central hub of Animal Kingdom is called Discovery Island. Well, you look at that. In an homage to the, the island that it actually swallowed up whole. So one of the things that we need to note, too, is allegedly in 1989, uh, and I do have an old Orlando Sentinel article uh, from that time that claims that there were a lot of uh, issues around animal abuse. So apparently, uh, according uh, to this article, is that Disney uh, and Discovery Island specifically came under controversy due to rifles being fired at hawks, vultures being beaten to death, and the destruction of Ibis eggs by employees. So there's that that exists in the Orlando Sentinel, Sentinel um, archives. But then if you, I found a Quora uh, question and answer session. So a former global business technology um, employee of the Walt Disney Company from 2004 to 2015 actually answered one of these questions and said that he uh, witnessed some of the problems at the original Discovery Island, including vultures attacking, blinding, and killing other animals, especially the turtles. So that was a bit of an issue um, when really it's just the animal kingdom in action, right? Yeah, the the thing is, is the vultures were not part of their animals, is from what I understand. They were protecting their animals from 
the vultures, but still, I'm sure there must have been a better way to handle and shooting these poor birds out of the sky that are just trying to do their job right. as birds. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the spin on that is that Disney's being cruel, but really it's just uh, unwanted attention from the animal kingdom due to juicy uh, animals lying around uh, ripe for the picking. I think they would have lost either way. It's like you don't protect the turtles from the vultures, then you're being cruel to the turtles, but you're shooting the vultures and you're being cruel to the vultures. It's a no-win situation, but they should have thought better and maybe protected the turtles in a different way. Speaking of the animal kingdom, though, so uh, something interesting to note is how a lot of these Disney parks actually operate in terms of dealing with pest control. Yeah, they they release the cats. Right. So they have, so I don't know if this is a Disneyland or Disney World. They just said the parks. There's about 200 cats that they release uh, every night. Uh, these cats are spayed and neutered and uh, trained uh, to act as uh, great pest control. And sometimes you actually see them during the day. I've never seen one. And I'm always on the lookout for these cats because when I heard this story, I always thought it was an urban legend. And then I looked into it more deeply. And no, it's, it's a real thing, but I have not seen any cats. Double density. So there's actually uh, very few people have gone urban exploring because once again, you get caught, you get kicked out, right? But there are photos of Discovery Island that exist. And once again, it's this really weird situation. It's that's a, it, it acts like a ghost town where everyone kind of literally just ran for it and never came back. I watched a few of the videos. Actually, I saw a few pictures from 2004, another picture from 2007. And then the most recent, there's a video on YouTube from 2017. I don't know how these guys got to this island, though. It can't be that easy to get there. I don't know, but it's kind of like, it kind of reminds me of a Jurassic Park type of situation, like with all the enclosures and stuff, the way that it looks. It is creepy. It's, it's, uh, I feel more creepy than the uh, water park because that's just abandoned like water slides and stuff. But this has like cages, you see uh, coolers where they kept animal uh, medicine and stuff like that. It's, everything's like destroyed because you know when hurricanes hit it there it's not like they're gonna repair anything it just keeps getting destroyed over and over again so uh there's this pirate ship on the edge of the property that apparently is completely covered in foliage and just overgrown bits of shrubbery everywhere because it's been there for so long and and not taking care of that it just kind of is yeah it was an important part of discovery island when it was uh, an active park kids would play in it and it's it's just incredible to see something just go to waste like that it's it's like what happens when uh civilization leaves it just the earth takes over and it's literally like a it looks like a situation where everyone ran for it it's kind of super creepy and we'll link to um a gallery of photos in the show notes just so people can kind of take a look and see how weird it all is it's such a weird disconnect with the way disney world and disneyland operate in that everything's so pristine and taken care of and they make sure everything looks good like to the extent of like painting things, this weird green color that you kind of gloss over. Meanwhile, they leave abandoned parks in the back. And a lot of people have raised issues because of the fact that a lot of this is going into the local water supply, right? All of these rotting things, they're not taking care of the debris and garbage that uh, exists because of these two parks, right? So there's there's been a lot of, well, not a lot. I mean, there's been a number of people who've raised uh, concerns about um, the ecological impact uh, locally of these uh, abandoned parks. Yeah, it makes me wonder what I'm drinking uh, in the water over there when I go there. Stick to the booze, my friend. Double density. We'd be remiss uh, not to mention in typical double density fashion, uh, some kind of link in between Disney World and UFOs. So, Angel, I have dug up a documentary, a bona fide real documentary from 1995 called UFOs, The Reality of the Phenomenon, which was meant to sell the new or then new attraction of the extraterrestrial alien encounter. That's now a Lilo and Stitch ride because it was weird to have a ride about Ridley Scott's alien in the middle of Disney World. Right. Because it was called Alien Encounter. Yeah. But it made no sense. It's like you're in the middle of, of a nice magic kingdom and all of a sudden there's a horrifying xenomorph that attacks you. It makes no sense. Right. And I, like I've, I've only watched half this documentary and unfortunately the uh, YouTube video kind of stretches to fit the newest aspect ratio because this is a, a, a classic 4.3. But it is... Did you report him, Brian? No. I, I'm not a narc. I thought we've gone through this. I do not narc out okay. unless it's against other narcs. Uh, but the crazy thing is like, this is a, a bona fide documentary. Like this is a legit, I mean, on the up and up production wise, at least not content wise, uh, documentary. It's interesting. I think I'm going to have to sit down and watch it. I'm going to have to deal with the stretched screen, but uh, maybe I'll give it a shot. 
So they actually, as part of it, organized a whole UFO conference at Disney. Did they? Yeah, in, including Don Ecker, who is responsible for organizing the conference. Really? Yes. So we're going to link to a Mysterious Universe article uh, in the show notes all about this. But yeah, this is a completely crazy story that I don't think has been talked about all too much. Double density. So I would like to close things off moving away from UFOs and documentaries to something a little more experimental and interesting. So the first time you went to Disney uh, World, I had suggested as an adult, sorry, I had suggested that you watch a particular independent horror film, right? Escape from Tomorrow. And I really liked it. So it is a really, really crazy experimental um, horror film shot at Disney World, right? I usually don't buy into your uh, film nerd horror movies that you recommend, uh, but this one was really good. And it grabbed me right away in that I knew I was going to be going to this place in a week. I hadn't been in years and they were at the Contemporary uh, Resort, which is like a really nice, expensive resort to stay at. And the scene that I remember the most clearly is him on Big Thunder Mountain Railroad uh, with somebody in front of him whose head gets hit and explodes in front of him. Right. So that's like a, a, a post, uh, an effect done in post. I would hope so. <laughs> uh, because uh, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad is not that scary unless you think your head's going to get smashed. So they shot this film covertly um, posing as guests, right? So they shot using a Canon EOS Mark II and a Canon EOS Mark IV. Um, kind of really crazy. So what they did is that they shot this in monochrome, right? So in black and white. Yeah, that's the uh, that's what makes it into a nerd movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the crazy thing is they actually managed to pull this off, right? So they were using uh, technology such as their iPhones in order to blend in, right? So they were keeping bits of script on their iPhone. They were um, kind of trying to look like guests. So they shot this entire movie um, based around this whole uh, story. And it is really, really interesting to go watch. It'd be surprising one day maybe if Disney ends up buying it so they can't release it. <laughs> um, well, the big thing is that uh, at the time when it first started screening at Sundance, for example, uh, people actually believed that Disney would, would launch an injunction. They didn't, though, which I'm actually impressed that they didn't. Well, they don't really have a land to, uh, sorry, a, uh, a leg to stand on really with this. Like, what would they have done? I guess. Yeah. I mean, but don't you need a permit or something? I mean, yeah. No, but, I, but I film at Disney World. Well, that's the whole point, right? Like, how do you start defining what's private and what's public, right? If you if you put up a video uh, on Instagram, for example, of your Disney World experience, how is that, you know? But they made money off of this, didn't they? Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, like, influencers make money off of Instagram yeah, videos true. at Disney World, probably, right? So I, I feel like the line is blurred there. But they really don't have much in order to be able to sort of, of um, push injunction-wise, I don't believe. What's interesting is that uh, the simulation wanted me to watch this movie because it ended up being 99 cents the week before I went to Disney World. Oh, there you go. But so another interesting thing, right, is the idea of fair use and intellectual property, right? Because the poster is noticeably like, uh, you know, Mickey's hand, right? Yes, it's it's clearly that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> with blood on it, too. And the font that they use for Escape from Tomorrow is clearly the Disney font. Yeah. So uh, Disney did not really comment on this, apart from saying that they were aware of the situation. Yeah. It's not like it made a lot of money or anything. It's just, it was a, a, an interesting idea to make this type of movie. I like that they go a bit all over the place at Disney World. There's a great scene that where they, uh, they go in the big giant ball at Epcot, but I don't think they actually filmed inside of that because I don't think you can go inside of that. No, well, I mean, there's like sound stages that they shot a lot of scenes on, so perhaps they did, you know, kind of a change of scenery. Uh, so one of the main theories as to why Disney didn't take action is that they didn't want increased publicity over this this film. So the idea is that if they lay low, the film kind of just go away, whereas if Disney decided to sue, then it became, you know, this, this years-long battle um, keeping the name of the movie uh, in th the headlines. Oh, yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense uh, because uh, any publicity is good publicity and they decide to give it no publicity. So that ends up helping Disney and that this really doesn't get out to as many people. Because I'd be really impressed if I went up to anybody and asked them if they knew what this movie was. And they knew what it was. Yeah. It's a, it's a very small percentage of, of go of, you know, Disney world visitors that would know anything about this. Uh, I would suggest checking out. It's very surreal, right? Like even like, Oh my God, it, it works so well in black and white. Um, and it's kind of amazing what they were able to do surreptitiously without the park's knowledge. And given the fact that like how the park is monitored, it's kind of even more amazing. 
Well, I would actually classify it basically as a fever dream. When yeah, that is actually like, like a really great way of, of putting it. And it was really weird going to Disney World the week after I saw it. <laughs> Were you hoping to recreate any of the scenes? No, but I was I was aware of everything that they were looking at in the movie. Like I, I was looking uh, I was looking for the different rides that they were on. There you go. Uh interesting footnote though is that Disney has sort of acknowledged it in a minor way, including an entry uh into the online supplement of the Disney A to Z official encyclopedia. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so uh, something to think about. Has anyone else out there seen Escape from Tomorrow? If you want to, let us know at double underscore density, facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing over on Instagram. And you can visit us at double density.net. Hit the contact button and let us know about your uh, Escape from Tomorrow uh, situation. Or even if you've been to Disney World before, Angelo uh, would love to and I would like to, let's put it that way, hear about your experiences (laughs) at Disney World in Orlando, Florida. And with that, Angelo, I bid you a great trip. Enjoy yourself. I'm going to be putting out an episode without you. I'm not going to tell you about it uh, until you get to listen to it. So good luck dealing with that. And yeah, I will see you around in a couple of weeks, I guess. What do you mean you're putting out an episode without me? I don't want to talk about it. I have plans. They don't involve you. So just deal with it. All right. I'll be uh, riding a roller coaster in Disney World, hoping not to get my head smacked off. (laughs) And with that, we bring episode 66 of the Double Density podcast to a close. Angelo, I will talk to you next week, presumably, or anytime in the near future, all about uh, the inner workings of the robotic Walt Disney monster who will one day eat us all. See you, my friend. See you, Brian. Yeah, I'm uh, um, buffering uh, foliage. No, that's, that's not the right word. Foliage. Fo- foliage? Foliage. Foliage. The most famous.